Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, 49ers faithful? It is another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast presented by TheQBSneak.com for accurate predictions on every NFL matchup and thought-provoking NFL content that can help your fantasy teams or confidence pools. Head to TheQBSneak.com. And it is another victory podcast. I am Zane Nackvi. With me, we've got Levin Black and Rob Stats Guerrera. The first episode of this three-headed monster coming at you, 49ers fans. And it's a victory podcast, the fourth one in a row. How you guys feeling? Levin, welcome back, man. Miss you. You missed you missed a big week, man. <laughs> yeah, I apologize for not being able to be here last week, but it was a good week nonetheless. Another victory. So can't really complain. It's good to be back and uh, I'm ready to get into it. And we've got stats of the third member of the trio. We gotta find out some kind of team name for us, right? Stats? Uh, if you say so. I mean, we're episode one here with all three of us. I think we got a little time. Yeah, we gotta we gotta build up that credibility, right? We gotta build up those those hours of of trust from the fans, and and we're gonna start with that tonight. And we're gonna start by talking about the Monday night triumph over the Cleveland Browns, and what a game! I was sitting watching that game, and I was sitting on the couch with my daughter, and I was just like, I was I was watching TV, and I was having fun watching football for the first time in five years. It was unbelievable. They looked so good, and they were so fundamentally sound, and despite the little hiccups here and there, it was a message that they sent on national TV to the entire league, to the entire country that this team is, this team is, is for real. Am I, am I crazy in thinking that? No, it definitely sent, sent a big uh, message on the national scene. It was, it was good timing to dominate in the way they did on Monday night football really kind of announced not just the team, but especially that this defense is to be reckoned with. And especially that defensive line, you know, it was kind of Nick Bosa's coming out party fulfilling his you know number two overall pick and and all that just kind of put the league on notice i think and i liked that they came out and they were sharp right away even on the first drive the browns had a deep completion down the field and it was uh, some question as to whether receiver was inbounds they tried to hurry up to get the next playoff and shanahan was right on it he was all over it he got the challenge in before they could get the playoff it ended up making it third and long i think or maybe even fourth down at that point the Browns had to punt, and the 49ers were off and running after that. So it was nice to see coming out of the bye week, they were sharp, unlike last year coming out of the bye when they got blasted by Tampa Bay. Yeah, Kyle Shanahan before this last week was 0-2 coming out of bye weeks, and he and the team did not look particularly good in either, either of those games. And they just came out, Matt Brito with the 83-yard touchdown run right, right from the jump, and the Browns are down. And that's exactly what you want to do. You want to jump on your opponents, get those quick starts, put them down early and let that defense go to work. That is an elite defense out there. And they proved it. They look Baker Mayfield, say what you want about him. He's not a terrible quarterback. He has some weapons out there and they absolutely just choked that Browns offense out. And it was so impressive. And it was so good to see them do that on a national stage because frankly, we hadn't seen them do that on that type of stage before. We hadn't really known what they were going to do. And they came out and they delivered and it was a big moment. And they absolutely stepped up to it. They almost, the, the previous game against the Steelers, they had another big moment where they knew they were going to be outright first place if they won that game. They almost faltered, but it seems like all of those things that, that, that they had wrong in that game, they kind of corrected those things. And I, and I was really encouraged to see it. Yeah, it's been, uh, I think the thing that's most impressive to me is that 
it's been they've been able to do the next man up thing. You know, mm-hmm. there's been some injuries, and the guys that have stepped in, we haven't even really noticed. They haven't been so bad that people have been going, oh, look, you know, it's a replacement guy. You know, Mosley filled in. He, he did great. Didn't even really get much talk about him because he wasn't getting beat left and right. You know, and then there's Schooley on the offensive line. We didn't really talk. I have to talk about him or notice him much in the game because he wasn't getting beat left and right. Some of that is game planning and, and having help from the tight ends, but he also is doing quite well. And I even made a comment that I thought Schooley outplayed McGlinchey in that game. Now we know that McGlinchey had a knee injury, so that might have been part of it. But it, it's that's been the most impressive to me is that this depth is really starting to show on the team. And that's one of the most encouraging things. I was reading an article on The Athletic today. I think it was by Ted Wynn. And it was a film breakdown of the game. And he made a really good point. And he, his point was that Shanahan doesn't draw up these exotic plays that we've never seen before. It's not like Chip Kelly, who has this system that no one ever saw. Shanahan figures out your rules defensively, and he draws up plays to exploit them. So even if you have a McGlinchey who's not there, or a Staley who's not there, or now a Juszczyk who's not going to be there, I have faith that he's going to be able to design things that are still going to work regardless of whether all the starters are there or not. Yeah, and we'll get to the injuries in a second. I, I do want to talk about Juszczyk and uh, McGlinchey's injuries, but to stay on Kyle Shanahan, he was on the radio in the Bay Area today, and he mentioned how for the running game, he doesn't really, they asked him, do you have any more bags of tricks or anything like that for the running game? And he said that it's not necessarily bags of tricks, and this is not verbatim, but the, the point he was trying to get across is that it's not a bag of tricks. What it is is, it's a lot of variations off of what these guys know. He said that these guys have been doing this in their, their entire career and their entire football life, the, the concepts that they have. It's just maybe like a fake jet sweep or a fake toss or misdirection. Those small little nuances that they have that they bring to certain plays and certain formations that, that really confuse the defense. And this is not the first time the defenses look really confused. If you remember, when they put it on Cincinnati in Cincinnati in week two, their defense, Drake Kirkpatrick came out and he was like, man, they threw everything at us. We, ha- we hadn't seen half of the stuff that they saw, basically. Like he, was, he said that they threw the kitchen sink at, at, the, at the Bengals. And essentially, that's, I think, what you're going to have to do to, to win games, especially when you're undermanned. And those injuries are huge, right? Kyle Juszczyk's a huge part of this offense. He's a huge loss. And, and it's going to be kind of interesting to see what they do to, to fill that hole. Right. I, I think the... Uh brilliance of Shanahan it's not so much game planning in my opinion I think it's basically he sets you up to where you line up in a certain formation and he can do anything out of it so it's the defense not being able to key on one specific thing or cluing in but the brilliance of Shanahan is really calling the specific play when he does it he seems to always be one step ahead of the defense and being able to oh you think we're going to run here well no we're actually going to the opposite side or we're going to be passing you know he's always able to keep them off off their feet basically and get them to not know what's coming and that it's not so much in my opinion the game plan as it is his play calling that is Shanahan's brilliance but it also helps that this is year three and we know that he does have a little bit of a complicated system so it takes a while for guys to really get dialed into it and I think we're seeing that in year three that this offense and the players in it are really getting familiar with it and being able to execute much better because they're not having to think about what they have to do they're being able to just do it so now what do you think uh and zane i'll ask you first what do you think shanahan is going to do now because use check is not there how do you think the offense is going to change because i personally think 
that a lot more is going to fall on the shoulders of Jimmy Garoppolo, who to this point, I thought, as we've talked about, has been pretty good, but also has a lot of games where he's just been able to hand it off and the offense has steamrolled people. But I think now that those guys aren't there, it's more is going to fall on Jimmy G's shoulders. Would you agree? I think that's probably the most intriguing part of this game coming up, right? I think that what they're going to do specifically on offense with all of the injuries to key contributors to me, I, I think that it's going to be a, a combination of things. And I think the first thing is going to be Jimmy's going to get the ball out of his hand really fast. Like if you remember back in 2017, when in those last five games of the season, when he started, he, the ball was out of his hand. He was among the league leaders in quickest uh, release from time from snap to release. He was, he was among the league leaders. And I think that you're going to see more of that because the good thing is, is that Clay Matthews, who's been having quietly a very good season, is out for this game. So you won't necessarily get the pressure off the edge. You'll see Aaron Donald, defensive MVP, all world, like all, all everything is going to be coming at you up the middle, right? And that pressure is a little bit easier to predict and deal with um, just because you can slide that pocket. And I think that you're going to see a lot of that when Jimmy throws. You'll see a lot of them sliding the pocket. They'll still try to establish the run just because it's such a big part of what they do. Like Jimmy's really good out of the, the play action. People don't realize that. His passer rating, his completion percentage, touchdowns, everything jumps when he throws out of the play action. So I think they're going to try to still establish the run so that it gets the play action going. But I think what, the, what they're going to do with the personnel is that you may not see a lead blocker for Matt Breida or Tevin Coleman. You may just see a single back set, or you may see Kittle in the backfield as an H-back, or whether it's Ross Dwelly or Toilolo or even if you put an extra offensive lineman back there, I think that's what you're going to see. You're going to see a bunch of mixing and matching of formations, but it's not going to be like use checks leading the way the entire time, like, like it has been in the past four games. It's going to be a, a basically fullback by committee. And if you guys, if you guys think about it, most of the teams don't have a fullback, right? Most of the teams in this league don't run with a fullback. It's very rare for you to see a fullback who's on the field all the time. Like use check is, and it's kind of a, a testament to his versatility. But that being said, that should tell you that you can get by without a fullback. You can adapt your offense to go single back or two smaller backs or put a tight end motioning out of the backfield. Like you can do things to, to scheme up getting around having a fullback. And I think that there's no better offensive mind outside of maybe Josh McDaniels that can deal with it outside of besides Kyle Shanahan. Right. And I, I think to tie in with you talking about how they're going to probably have a quicker passing game, trying to get the ball out of his hands. This could be Debo's coming out party mm-hmm. because what we've seen so far this season is Shanahan makes it a point to try to get the ball in his hands and he's run some wide receiver screens and, and things like that to get it into Debo's hands. And that's going to negate the Aaron Donald, as you mentioned. If you have a wide receiver screen out to the outside, Donald's going to have no chance of making an impact on that because it's going to be so quick. And then at the same time, that, that gets your Debo going. Uh, that's something that I was kind of seeing as a prediction for this game, I would not be surprised at all to see Debo a much bigger uh, point in the game plan of they really want to get it to him. So then the Rams defense has to play the pass as well as the run. And I wouldn't be surprised if they come out and run a wide receiver screen when the Rams are probably going to be gearing up for the run because the Niners are averaging the most rush attempts uh, per game of any team in the league right now. So I I wouldn't be at all surprised. And I I do think Debo's in for at least they're going to try to get him to be a big part of the game plan. It is incredible that the Niners have reached, this is going to be week six now, and the leading receiver on the team is Marquise Goodwin, and he has 150 yards. He has 150 yards on the season. And so the 
as the stress will fall on Jimmy now with these injuries too. Like you were saying, the wide receivers are going to have to step up. I, I don't know if Dante Pettis is still in the doghouse or not. I mean, he dropped he dropped a ball last week on a slant. That's I mean, Jimmy couldn't have put it any better if he had handed it to him, and that's a yeah. touchdown more than likely. And he yeah. dropped it, and you can tell afterwards Jimmy was not pleased. Let's just say. And so I don't know if, if Pettis is still in the doghouse or what, but he's going to have a chance to get out of it because I agree. I think the wide receivers now are going to have to step up more than they have in the passing game. There's a, a school of thought that's been going around. I'm not sure if you guys have heard it nationally or not, but there's a school of thought going around on why the 49ers are running the ball so much because when you're a 4-0 team, they start to nitpick, nitpick stupid things, right? So they're nitpicking why they're running the ball so much. And, and if Jimmy is being a game manager, if they expect him to be that so... I want to hear what you guys have to think about that and, and I'll share my thoughts, but stats, what do you think about that thought where Jimmy's being a game manager based off of the fact that they're running so much? I mean, it's working. I mean, they're averaging 200 yards a game on the ground. What do you want Jimmy Garoppolo to pass? Like, why wouldn't you keep running if it's working? He's done what they've needed him to do. Now it's, it's fair to say that they haven't had to put a game on his shoulders yet, but that's only because they've been so successful running the ball. So you can call him a game manager if you want, but when you average that many yards on the ground, why do anything different? Right. I, I think I, I always find that kind of funny because I think Kyle Shanahan has this reputation of a guy that's fallen in love with the passing game. And I don't really think it's true. I mean, in a lot of ways, he's like his father. And what was his father known for? That unstoppable rushing attack where so many running backs over the years were able to be plugged in. and now you have Kyle, and if you really look at it, he's always been more geared towards the run game. Yes, he's known for the pass game, but he's always run first, and he only goes to the pass game when he thinks it, it, it he needs to. And when you're averaging 5.2 yards a rush and nobody's stopping you, and you're getting these gashes of 15, 20 yards uh, pretty consistently, why would you ever change? And I think that has always been Shanahan's philosophy. If the run game is working, I'm not going to go away from it just because. Yeah. It's just funny to hear people talk about this and, and say that, well, Jimmy didn't throw for 300 yards or he was just, he was just average. He was just okay. But my, my answer to that is, you know, why it doesn't matter. You won the game, right? It, you're not, this isn't, this isn't a beauty pageant. This is football. The, the object is to win games. It doesn't matter if it comes pretty or ugly or whatever it is. And to your point stats, why would Kyle Shanahan go away from something that works? And, and Levin, you said the same thing. Like, why, why would he go away from something that's working all game long? Like, we're not talking about like three yards in a cloud of dust. We're talking about like big chunk plays, five yards, seven yards, 10 yards, 83 yards. Like these aren't just <laughs> small little runs, you know, they're, they're putting together a, a historic, they're running at a historic clip right now. And why would you go away from that? If you know that that's, what's going to get you, into the type of rhythm that you want on offense. So to me, it's just a lot of splitting hairs and a lot of the, the media just trying to make something out of nothing and trying to find talking points. Because if that's the biggest complaint, if Jimmy Garoppolo not throwing for 300 yards, but still winning games is your biggest complaint, then the Niners are winning pretty good. That's just, that's just my opinion on that. It's, it's interesting with Garoppolo. I feel like he's graded unlike a lot of other quarterbacks. Like literally he makes a, a bad throw an inaccurate throw and people are like, Oh, Jimmy, he's, he's terrible. Look, look at that throw. It's like that happens to every quarterback, every game. There's going to be a couple of throws that are not where you want them to go or the receiver breaks a different way. I mean, those things happen. Now I will say that 
I think his footwork, he doesn't have traditional footwork. He's not really the step into the throw guy of noticing. He His footwork is a little wonky sometimes. And I feel like Kyle knows it. And that's why most of the passes are either out of the shotgun or off the play action. But he can still be very accurate at times. And if Debo doesn't drop a third down ball right after the uh, after the Sherman interception, there's a third down pass that Debo had in his hands and gets knocked away very quickly. If he doesn't drop that and if Pettis holds on to the slant at the end of the game, Jimmy's numbers look a lot better. And then maybe people are saying different things about how he played last week. Right. I, I posted after the game, you know, the Niners have played exactly one quarter of the game, so played four out of 16. And I posted what uh, Garoppolo is on pace for uh, just to kind of make a point. And uh, if I remember correctly, it was 3,680 yards. By no means is that, you know, a crazy number, but it would be the most yards a co- Niners quarterback <laughs> has passed for since 2001. So it, it's not necessarily to be scoffed at either. And then his touchdown to interception ratio would be 28 and 16, 28 touchdowns to 16 interceptions. Well, that's not bad either. It's not great. That's a lot of turnovers, a lot of interceptions. But I made the point that that's with half of those because he has four so far through four games. Half of those are clearly on the receiver. They clanged off the receiver's hands. And there's an argument to me made three out of four could be in that realm. But even if you take away half of them, that puts him on pace for 28 touchdowns and only eight interceptions. That's a dominant season. I don't, I don't know why anybody would criticize that. And then you also, you know, you, you mentioned how people get after his accuracy because he makes one single bad pass. He's completing almost 70% of his passes. He's one <laughs> of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league. So I don't get that gripe at all. I uh, responded actually to that tweet because there's somebody that criticized your, your, your statistics there. And I responded with Tom Brady's numbers. I'm not in any way saying that Jimmy Garoppolo will be Tom Brady, although I hope he will. But I'm not in any way saying that this is this is his career trajectory. So I, I put out his stats from 2001, which is Brady's first year as a starter, this year that Drew Bledsoe went down and they won the Super Bowl. He completed 64% of his passes for 2,843 yards, 18 touchdowns, and 12 picks. Okay? So you could say, oh, okay, well, he didn't have 16 games, right? Fine. Uh, he started 14 games that season. So the next season, 2002, Brady started 16 games. They missed the playoffs, went 9-7, and seven, completed 62% of his passes for 3,764 yards, 28 touchdowns, and 14 interceptions. Now, how close is that to what the numbers that you just mentioned, Levin? That's almost right on par. And what people need to understand is that Jimmy, regardless of how many years he spent on the bench, he was basically a, a spectator. He was not, He was a passenger on the plane. He was not piloting the plane and stats. I, I see you have something to say. Yeah. You know, don't feel like you have to rush or anything, but I was going to say, would you sign for that 11 right now? Those numbers you, you quoted, would you say, would you sign for those and say, I'm happy. I'll take it. Give me the 28 touchdowns at 3,600 yards and the, and the 16 picks. I would take it only. I, I wouldn't be overly pleased with them, but I would take it because one, that means he was healthy. That's <laughs> Two, true. I think that's, those are good enough numbers with the run game that exists and the defense this team has to be a playoff true contender. And, and that's, that's part of what plays into it. When you have a dominant defense like the Niners now have, you don't need another, you know, an, an all-world, all-American, whatever you want to call it, an all-pro quarterback. You just need a quarterback who's going to be able to make plays some of the times and not lose a bunch of games to you. And a quarterback that has those numbers is good enough with a dominant defense 
to win you 10 plus games consistently. So I would accept those numbers. I just, the interceptions would be a little higher than I would like, but you know, they are what they are at this point. Well, keep in mind that Brady actually threw uh, at least 12 interceptions from 2001 until 2006, right? So when he turned 30 years old, the the 2007 season when Randy Moss came, that's when he really started to get really, really good. And we have to remember that, that quarterbacks have a different trajectory in terms of how they develop. Usually they start to hit a sweet spot around 30 years old. Like Russell Wilson is there right now, right? He's 30 years old. He's turning 31 this year. And as much as I hate to say it, he's turning into an elite quarterback. And if he's not already an elite quarterback, like the things that he's doing with the lack of a running game and lack of, of defense are, are amazing. And this, the, the shine that Patrick Mahomes gets and the attention that he gets, people forget that Russell Wilson has done all of that stuff already in Seattle. It's just that people look at that defense and they say that it's not, it's, it's just because of that. I'll say this about Russell Wilson. I think he's been elite for a long time. Mm-hmm. What he did behind the offensive line they had for so many years, and with quite honest, a very subpar wide receiver group, was amazing. I mean, we all know as Niner fans watching those games how many times he Houdinied his way out of sacks and turned something that should have been a busted play into a huge gain, and it was so frustrating how often he was able to do it. I think he's doing the same things. It's just now he has an offensive line that isn't as terrible as it used to be. He has a run game again that's a real threat, so it's not all on him. The last few years, it has been all on him ever since Lynch left. And then on top of that, he's got maybe the best wide receiver group that he's ever had there in Seattle. Uh, It's still not a great wide receiver group, but it's pretty good. Tyler Lockett's really stepped up, and DK Metcalf kind of makes the defense stay honest because of the threat that he is. So I'll say that. I know that was a big talking point. Oh, Russell Wilson's a top five quarterback now. And a lot of Niners fans are saying, no, he's not. He's been a top five quarterback, in my opinion, for quite a while. Yeah, I was willing to die on the hill that he wasn't. But it's it's at the point where I'm like, he's okay. He's put together enough years now where he's been healthy and he's a top five quarterback. And that's taking it back to Jimmy. That's that's what you want Jimmy to be like. You don't want him to necessarily be like a Hall of Famer. Well, we do. Right. But you're not going to judge him and say that, oh, well, he didn't. He, he wasn't Joe Montana, so he's not great. Like we have to get off of that that point as 49ers fans. We can't expect that every single quarterback that walks through that door is going to be Joe Montana or Steve Young. And I think that as as great as what those guys did, uh, it, it kind of set up this preconceived notion amongst 49ers fans that this is a quarterback factory and it has to be like that. And if you're not lighting the league on fire and throwing for 700 yards a game and throwing for seven touchdowns a game, that that you're not really that great. And I think that if you look at the way that, for example, Jared Goff, the way that he lost against the, the Buccaneers a few weeks ago, he threw for over 500 yards. Would you rather have that and a loss? Or would you rather have, all right, Jimmy throws for 250, 250 yards and has a touchdown or two and doesn't throw any picks and they win? What would you rather have? I'd take the wins all day. Oh, of course you take the win. Now, I'd like both. Can I have can I have 500 <laughs> yards and the win, please? Like if we're if we're getting to choose, I, I would like to have both. But I mean, your points are well founded. Patrick Mahomes threw 50 touchdowns last year, didn't win the Super Bowl, didn't even get to the Super Bowl. The mm. last quarterback that took the 49ers to the Super Bowl was not a guy that was throwing for 300 yards a game. Colin Kaepernick was making the plays he needed to make. He was getting big chunk plays, you know, through the air and and a lot of times with his legs. But Jimmy can do the same thing. He can get those chunk plays, those 15, 20-yard plays down the field, 
And like you said, if they're winning and Jimmy is 10 and two now as a starter with Kyle Shanahan, I'm happy. And I think most 49er fans are happy. Yeah. I want to, I just, I just hate doing this every week. I mean, I don't hate it, but like the, the, the evaluation of Jimmy every single week, right. I just think it's going to be a thing the rest of this year. And I, I stats is here rolling your eyes. Like I'm, I feel the same way. I'm the same way about that. And, and Levin and I have been talking about this before you joined the show every single week, Levin and I are talking about like, okay, well, what do we hear about Garoppolo and trying to dispel these myths? Because I like to think that we're a really level-headed group here. And Levin, what, I mean, do you, what do you think about that? Well, it, it's a quarterback driven league. What did we just discuss a couple of minutes ago? We're still talking about Russell Wilson and how good or not good he is. I mean, mm-hmm. every team does this. I think every team's always criticizing the quarterback and nitpicking and trying to say, well, he could do this. He could do that. It, it just comes with the position that there's so much the face of the franchise that they're always going to be a topic of conversation, whether they're good or bad. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's kind of unfair because it is a team game and so much there are the three phases. There's office defense, special teams, and all three of those have to be firing for a team to be really successful. Or one of the phases has to make up for the phases that aren't firing. So Moving to the other phase, or one of the other phases for the 49ers, the defense, man, I cannot say enough about this group. They have been so good this season, this season and you would be hard-pressed to find a better defense outside of New England. Like Even even the Thursday night game, New England's given up points, right? Like They're, they're playing at home, and, and the Giants are giving them a run for their money. Like The Niners' defense has been, they've been elite this year. There's no other way to describe them. What a great group of guys. Yeah, the Niners' defense... I think, honestly, it's the best defense in the division. The Rams have more talented players at certain spots. Like Aaron Donald, I think, is maybe the most dominant player in the entire league. But I think in terms of the entire unit, I think the 49ers have the best defense in the division. I think that that front four, the pressure they can get from every single member of the front four is unlike anything the division has seen since since the Seahawks were in their heyday. And I don't think it's a fluke. I don't think it's a product of the schedule. And I think people are going to see that more now because of the Monday night win. I feel like people are going to be paying attention a little more. And I think they'll start to see what we've seen so far this season. And speaking of that defense, I know we're going to be talking about Sherman for a different reason here (laughs) in a little bit. But uh, when I watch this Niners defense, you know, I kind of don't want to admit it because of where he came from. but. In a lot of ways, this is Sherman's defense, in my opinion. The attitude yes. they have, they have Sherman's moxie. Mm-hmm. They have that you know, bravado, that confidence. And I think it really is Sherman that kind of breeded that and, and created that atmosphere to this defense. And I think he deserves a lot of credit, in all honesty, for not only being that mentor to a, to a Mosley. You know, we, we saw some of that, if you watch the mic'd up, you know, him kind of coaching Mosley up and all that. And, you know, we know that he's kind of taken Witherspoon under his wing too, but it's also the attitude he brought. He brought that, that cockiness to this defense that a lot of the great defenses had. And in all honesty, this defense acts and plays a lot like the old Seattle defenses. Don't like to admit it, but, but it's true. It's funny that you mentioned that because on the show today, Mike sort of slipped something in that, that really surprised me. Mike said if Jason Verrett had been healthy to start the season, he thinks that Richard Sherman's roster spot was not assured, that it was entirely possible that they could have let Richard Sherman go before the season started if Jason Verrett, if they were confident and Jason Verrett was healthy and ready to go, which stunned me because I, you know, I know that 
Sherman wasn't all the way back physically last year, but he still, I mean, they was hardly challenged. And he seems like up until this week, he wasn't really a distraction in the media and things like that. And so that really surprised me when Mike said that, because I had not heard that and, and didn't see any quotes or anything from anybody that would lead me to believe that that was true. I find that hard to believe just on, just one thing that I think would kind of blow up that uh, theory. And that would be Jimmy Ward. The Niners keep bringing back Jimmy Ward and you hear, you, you heard when they brought him back, why they did. And they said, it's because he's a leader in the locker room and he brings a lot to the team in terms of being that leader. Well, we know Sherman's the leader of this defense in a lot of ways. I don't, I don't see them moving on from him when he, he's so integral as in that mentor role, you know, they all call him uncle Sherman and, and, and that he, he's so much to this locker rooms and this defense's attitude. I, I don't see how they would have moved on. It's kind of interesting to see the different things that are being brought up now that the Niners are kind of becoming more relevant again and people are starting to care more and they're starting to see more emphasis being put on stuff. Now, before we move to handshake, the second handshake gate, handshake gate part two, right? I want to talk about Nick Bosa and what a phenomenal, I'm not sure because we weren't necessarily in contact at that point. Um, but I'm not sure if you guys were Nick Bosa guys or Quinn and Williams guys or, or what you wanted at the draft, but I was, I was a very staunchly in the Nick Bosa corner, right? D- despite the, uh, the tweets and all that stuff. I know I'm gonna give a crap about that. I, I gave a crap about what he does on the field and what he does on the field is what you saw on Monday night. What a performance. He should have had three sacks, the intentional grounding Baker Mayfield's knee was down, but this, this clearly it was personal to Nick Bosa for the, the flag plant at OSU a couple of years ago. And the fact that, th- that this was, the bright lights and Monday night. And it just seemed like he's such a, a mild mannered dude. Like he just sounds like a, like a, like a dude, right. If you hear him talk and he's the total opposite of that on the football field. And it kind of reminds me of how Brian Dawkins was right. Brian Dawkins off the field was a complete mild mannered gentleman. Right. But once he put that uniform and helmet on, he became a psycho. And that's exactly what Nick Bosa played like on Monday. And it was so refreshing to see that sort of pressure being put on by him and D Ford, right? Give him, give him credit too, where the, the Browns literally could not even run their offense. And Kyle Shanahan talked about it after the game too. It, he said it kind of pisses him off sometimes because he's trying to do stuff in practice and Nick Bosa keeps wrecking the plays. And you saw that in the game, like what you wanted out of Nick Bosa when you picked him number two overall was a game wrecker. And that's exactly what he did. He wrecked that game. He did not let them get into their offense. They were, they were dead on arrival. When Nick Bosa comes firing off that edge, you want quarterbacks to be looking over their shoulder and, and, and trying to get happy feet and everything that Baker Mayfield was, you want quarterbacks to be that in the, in, in the rest of the season, you want them to be flustered and unsettled. And you get another chance to do that with another quarterback who gets a lot of pressure put on him this year in Jared Goff. So really to me, the guy that stuck out the most before we give our game balls, the guy that stuck out the most was Nick Bosa. The, uh, the Bosa thing. I mean, like you said, that's what you want the number two pick in the draft. That's what's so encouraging to me going forward, though, especially playing golf, a guy who the two things that Jared Goff doesn't like cold weather and pass rush. And when when I look at him, I look at Nick Bosa and say he could be the single most important person in the game this week, because if, if Gurley's banged up and it looks like he is and they have to throw and, and I think Nick Bosa is going to be in Jared Goff's grill all week long. Right. And, and for Nick Bosa. The one thing that stuck out to me in that game watching him, you know, he's fully healthy now. I don't know if you guys noticed, but 
he was staying in, in in obvious run situations and D Ford was being subbed out. Obviously mm-hmm. D Ford's you know he's not known for run stopping, but it certainly seems like Nick Bosa is gonna start leading the defensive line in snaps or be right there with Buckner. And he's gonna be one of those defensive linemen that they don't sub out unless he truly needs a breather because he's so good, not just against the pass, but also against the run because I mean it, it I don't want, don't want to call him a man child because he's a man, but he beat double teams. There, mm-hmm. you know, there's the one sack where he beat a double team. He just went right through him. Like, you know, it, it's like the old game, Red Rover, Red Rover. You know, that's what it reminded me of because they tried to put their arms up together, almost like a clothesline, and he just went right through it and still got the sack. He's got so much power, and he's got so much of the more advanced hand fighting that everybody talks about it's really a rare combination and that to me is the big part of it is that he's really going to be a guy that stays in in all situations now yeah d ford has the uh, as a as an aside on him he has his knee injury and i think he's down to one practice a week now i think that they know that after the season he may need surgery so they're trying to get as much out of him as they can and i think that he can play through it it's something that he said he played through in Kansas City and, and tried to rehab in the offseason. And I think that you're going to see him try to play through it, hopefully through January and February. We don't know. But I really think that defense travels, guys. We know that. When you play in the playoffs or late in the season and it's cold and it's muddy in some places and the weather isn't great or where a game is close and you need your defense to lock it up, like defense travels, defense, the old adage that we've heard the entire time we've been watching football our entire lives, Defense wins championships, right? And when you can run the ball and play defense, this reminds me of those Harbaugh teams, right? Of uh, the mid-2010s or the early 2010s, right? Where they played really, really stout defense and they ran the ball and they shortened games. I'm not saying that Jimmy is a game manager because I I, I don't want to even touch that narrative because he's not. But what I'm saying is that those teams were successful much in part because they were able to stop teams from scoring and able to keep the ball for so long. That's what happened against Cleveland. They stopped them from scoring and they had the ball for over 40 minutes. Now that's not going to happen every single game, but if you have an elite defense, they will not only stop them, but they will get the ball back from you. Kim Williams had that pick on the goal line that he almost, almost took to the house, but it really flipped momentum at that point. The, the Browns were driving and he had that interception and bam, that's it. The game was over after that. So you have that, that card that you can play that most teams don't where you have an elite defense that can turn a game for you or win a game for you or steal a game for you when you need them to. And really, until these guys come back, until Staley and Juszczyk and McGlinchey and Witherspoon get back, you need your defense to step up and win you some games. And, and granted, after this, this Rams game, the schedule gets a lot softer, but that's the, the card that you have that other teams don't. Well, for this defense, I think there's one thing opposing teams definitely need to do with this defense, and that's shake their hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Guys, wasn't that that wasn't that so ridiculous? Like, I mean, okay, look, Sherm's gonna be Sherm, right? Remember back in the day, the whole thing that started this Seattle Niners rivalry between Jim Harbaugh and the Seahawks was when they played in Candlestick and, and the Niners beat them in Candlestick, and the Seahawks team bus apparently. The Seahawks team bus was leaving the, the stadium and Jim Harbaugh was also leaving the stadium out of the, the players, the, the Niners players parking lot or the coach's parking lot. And he saw their bus and he honked and he waved that that's what the rumor is. That's what Sherman claimed. That's what Earl Thomas claimed. And that's kind of what got them every time they played the Niners, they got fired up and, and all those things. And I'm, I, I always questioned that the validity of that, 
But now it's kind of like, well, maybe that was just Sherm being Sherm. And to me, Levin, we talked about this on Twitter. We kind of went back and forth on this on Twitter. And I, I was eager to hear your guys' thoughts on this. But to me, I don't care where your motivation comes from. I don't care if it's real, if it's fake, if it's a fairy tale, if it's a myth, if it comes out of some holy book. I don't care where it comes from. If you win games, to me, that's what really matters. And, and Sherman is a genius for manu manufacturing that hatred or that anger that the team really fed off of. So to me, I really don't care where it came out of. You, if you guys remember the stories about Bill Walsh, he used to talk about uh, berating players, position coaches. Dwight Clark actually said that uh, in, in one of the America's games was talking about when, when a player would mess up, Bill Walsh wouldn't berate the player. He would go to the position coach and be like, what are you doing? Get this Clark guy off the field. You know, I, we don't need to keep him. And, and it was that psychological warfare that they played that really put them over the top. And I see what Sherman's trying to do. He got called out for it and he got kind of caught for it, which isn't a good look. But to me, the, the point still remains that it's a, it's not a, a bad way to motivate your guys. No, it's not. like Draw motivation from anywhere, I totally agree. But why do you have to go public with what your motivation was? <laughs> why do you have to talk to Mike Silver? This was the yeah. dumbest thing. I'm sorry. This was stupid by Richard Sherman. Yeah. You, you manufactured this thing. You lied. He clearly shook your hand. Then you got called out on it, and you had to backtrack and say, well, he, it was not as good of a handshake as the other handshakes, and then he didn't shake my hand again after they caught, tossed the coin. It was ridiculous, Richard Sherman. <laughs> You needed motivation, you found it, and it worked for you. Good. But there's no reason to talk to the media about it after the game and take all the focus away from the team's biggest win since 2013 because you had to put the focus on you in this stupid handshake. Yeah, it, it's classic Sherm. And I, I say Sherm, not Sherman, because I think Sherm's kind of his alter ego, if you want to go there. You know, it, it's the Sherm that came out after the Niners game with all about Crabtree. You know. It's that type of Sherman, the guy that, yeah, he's looking for motivation. I got no problem. And I made this point to you on Twitter. I'll make it here. I don't care where you get your motivation from. If you want to fabricate it, I'm all for it. I don't care where you get your motivation from. Where I draw the line is when you go public with it. Now, if there's something legitimately there, I don't care if you go publicly with it. If somebody's truly being really dis disrespectful, call them out on it. I, you know, I'm all for calling them out on it. But if it's not even real, what are you doing? It doesn't make any sense to me. And I, I think it's maybe Mayfield really did irk Sherman doing something pregame, you know, that we haven't figured out yet. Or maybe he just doesn't like Mayfield being propped up as this great quarterback already when he's really not there yet. You know, he seems to have a, a real issue with Mayfield for one reason or another, whether it was something that happened prior to the game or, or just Mayfield's attitude in general. But what yeah. I have an issue with is when he goes public with something that's totally not true. And I think it's, it's the downside to Sherman. He has all that moxie, he has all that confidence, and it really plays a big role in being the player that he is. But then it also tends to kind of spill over sometimes in post games where he's still locked into this moxie that he has and he hasn't quite transitioned into the Sherman that we see a lot of times in midweeks where he's super analytical, truly a, a really smart guy. And I think he, he kind of has a trouble coming down after games and it gets him in trouble sometimes. It, and this is one of those cases that got, got him in trouble. It, it's, there's no way to put it other than it's a really bad look. Yeah, basically Sherman was basically this was Sherman after the game.
<laughs> basically what it is backtracking, right? So I, I I like the fact that they play with a chip on their shoulder and I like the fact that they are really taking this us against the world thing to heart. But at some point, like you have to eventually realize that you're just better than everybody, right? And like it's it's people are gonna be praising you and you have to eventually just just tune everything out and just get into your bubble and 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 focus on that. So um moving on now to the game balls. Now it was you could give this to a number of people, right? And everybody really across the board, except for Robbie Gold, we didn't touch on the kicking thing, by the way, which which we will in the Rams preview, but everybody except for the special teams unit really showed out, showed up, and played well. So uh Stas, this is your first uh, of the trio of the three of us. Um, let's see who gets your game ball. My game ball goes to Kyle Juszczyk. I think that even though it doesn't show up in the box score, his lead blocking set the tone for the ground game, which was the whole basis for the entire win. I mean, the things that he does when Kyle starts him off one direction on the counters and then he comes back and blocks the other direction or when he's in the backfield and they motion him into the slot and he runs routes that, that occupy safeties and hold linebackers, everything that he does, the versatility of that offense, really, to me, I thought dictated to the Browns' defense what they were going to do, which allowed Kyle and Jimmy to take advantage of mismatches. Levin? I got to go with Emmanuel Mosley. I, I think that could have been the Achilles heel coming into this game, you know, it was talked about a lot in the lead up that it's a tall task with the receivers that Cleveland has. And for the most part, they were a non-factor. There were some drops. Um, I will say that, that there were some opportunities for Cleveland to get going and, and they boggled it. But, you know, it was a really tall task for Mosley. It's a game that I don't think anybody would have faulted him if Odell Beckham burned him left and right. I mean, Odell Beckham's one of the best receivers in the league. And he didn't. He held his own. He had a big pass breakup in the end zone. Uh, you know, he, when listening to the mic'd up, you can see Sherman warning him about that and, and really helping him get there and mostly listened. I mean, he did everything you could have hoped. And to me, I think it was the best case scenario game. You know, it, it was the best you could have possibly hoped he could play. And he really stepped up and that allowed the defense to set the tone for the entire game. All right, my game ball goes to Matt Breida. 11 carries, 114 yards, and, and that long touchdown. Set the tone. First offensive play of the game. He was fantastic. Like, this guy, is our, he has turned into the RB1 for this team, undrafted free agent, and now he is among the, the league's elite in terms of yards per carry. So I'm hoping that he can get to 1,000 this year. I'm not sure if they'll be able to because it's running back by committee in, in a Kyle Shannon offense. But if he put, keeps putting up numbers like this, I, I, it's the sky's limit. So super excited about Matt Breida. Now, getting on to next week against the Rams. The Niners have a chance to go 5-0. and If they win this game, this is that statement and game for them that everybody has been looking for and clamoring for and saying that, oh, they haven't beaten anybody. They need to beat a playoff team. They need to beat a contender, blah, 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 whatever. This is that game for them. And if they win this game in LA, despite all the injuries that they have, this catapults them into the conversation, in my opinion, to not only playoff contender, but Super Bowl contender. Yeah, it, it definitely is. We, we, a lot of people were saying the Cleveland game was the chance for the Niners to, you know, be able to shut everybody up about saying they haven't played anybody. Well, Cleveland doesn't look all that great right now. So that's still being said. 
this Rams game is the game. The Niners win this. There's no arguing anymore. They're 5-0. and They just beat the NFC defending champs, uh, a division rival. It, it would be a huge win, and I think it would. there would be no argument anymore. If anybody wanted to argue about it, they would have to be a Seahawks fan that's being a delusional. You know, I think that would be the only only way you could still make that argument. It is truly a game that the Niners could make their their statement. Yeah, it's the biggest game. And like, like I said, when we were emailing back and forth today, it's the biggest game for the 49ers in six seasons. It's the biggest game since the final NFC Championship game they played in under Jim Harbaugh. If they win this game, like you said, it announces their presence with authority. It legitimizes them, I think, in the eyes of other people. And it's funny, you know, you mentioned, oh, they beat the Browns, but people say the Browns don't look that good. That's what people say about everybody the 49ers have played after the 49ers play them, right? Oh, the Buccaneers, mm-hmm. oh, they look terrible in that game. Oh, Cincinnati, they're a complete disaster. Look, they're, they're no good either. And Pittsburgh, oh, man, five, they didn't you know, have their quarterback. Everybody the 49ers beat, people say they don't look that good. I think there's a reason for it, and the reason is the 49ers make you look bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just can't stand this whole minimizing things like before the Niners had their buy New England, the teams that they had played were combined one to nine. The teams that the Cowboys played were combined one to nine. The teams that Seahawks played were combined one and nine. Like the, nobody ever takes away from those teams. Right. But mm-hmm. it's the Niners that, Oh, these guys, you're the guys that, that really haven't played anybody. So to me, all of this, I guess, uh, minimalization or or whatever of, of what the Niners have done is is kind of ridiculous. I don't think that people realize how good this team is. And if they beat the Rams, and if they beat them soundly, which which they have a possibility to do if the defense steps up, then you're going to see all these questions go away. I said before the Rams game, I said before the Browns game, actually, that I want them to split, at the very least, split the Rams and Browns games because then that puts you at 4-1. and one. And then that gets you to the soft spot in your schedule. Where you can really kind of rack up those wins before that last six-game death stretch. So to me, whether they win or lose this game, they already took care of business against the Browns, right? I wanted to split. I've already got that no matter what. So it, there's so much to talk about in terms of who plays in this game and who doesn't, but really you just need to, to show up. And if, to me, if they lose and they do, if they show up and they lose by less than 10 or a field goal or something like that, then I'm happy. Like, I'm, I'm not saying I don't want them to win, but I'm saying that like, we have to keep things in perspective here, right? This is a really banged up team. This is a team missing its two starting tackles. Plus, it's starting fullback, who's a huge part of the offense. Plus, it's starting corner. So, Sean McVay is is coaching a team that came off of two wins, uh, two losses, sorry. One of them being a really bad one in Seattle. I don't know if they're going to lose three in a row. I really don't. Well, I think, you know, you mentioned keeping things in perspective. I, I think I've kind of seen some, this on Twitter and, and elsewhere a little bit. Uh, leading up to this game that I think people have lost perspective on the Rams. They think that they're this team that's no longer capable of being dominant. And I don't see that. I, You know, you, you look at it and really what their season has boiled down to is they've turned the ball over. That defense is still, you know, people see, oh, Tampa put 55 points up on them. Yeah, they did. But that defense is actually 13th in the NFL right now. It it's only given up 350 yards per game. It's that they're then 26th in scoring and it's because the offense, the Rams offense leads the league in turnovers. They're tied for league worst with 11 turnovers and they have a minus 5 turnover differential. That's why they've lost. That team that dominated last 
season is still there. There's still a very good underrated defense at this point. You know, that they're actually, you know, the Niners, people are talking about how great they are and nobody's really been able to do a whole lot rushing against them. The Rams are tied with the Niners in terms of yards per rush. They're both tied for seventh in the league, only giving up 3.8 yards per rush. So the Rams defense is not a pushover despite how many points they've given up so far. And then that offense has really moved the ball. Their offense is fifth in yards and sixth in points. The offense is still that really great Sean McVay offense. And the defense is, in my opinion, become very underrated. I think it's still a very good defense. It might not be a dominant defense, but it's still, to me, will be a defense that ends up in the top 10 in the NFL this season, assuming they don't have some injuries come up to change things. So I, I think some fans especially are almost overlooking the Rams, which they really shouldn't be doing, but some fans are that way. The Rams are not a not this team that's going to fall to 8-8, eight and eight, in my opinion. They're still very much a, a huge threat and a team capable of turning around and finishing 12-4. and four. I agree with you. I think the Rams can move the ball, and I think the Rams are going to score. Let me ask you, Levin, what is the number you think the 49ers defense needs to hold the Rams to in order to to get the team in a spot where it could win the game late? That's a tough one. I I think if the Niners are able to get into the high 20s, I think that would be enough. I don't think the Rams are going to cross that 30-point mark. Um, It it wouldn't overly surprise me if they do, but I think the Niners, if they can get to that 28-point mark or or 27, I think that would be enough. I I think this this is going to be a game where both teams... It ends up being a high high scoring game overall, but it's because both teams end up in the in the twenties. I do see this being a a close back and forth game, uh, and it's really going to be to me going to come down to who gets that last big play. Because I think this is going to be a game that uh, there's going to be some punts, but there's going to be some big long touchdowns. That that's just what I'm seeing because I think the defenses are good, but we've also seen both defenses give up big, long plays. I mean, that, that's the one thing the Niners defense has done. We've seen them give up, you know, the juju touchdown and things of that nature. So I, I think it's a play. It's a game that's going to come down to who can get those big chunk plays, which I guess isn't all that big of a revelation. And health too. Gurley may not play and Malcolm Brown is the backup and he's coming out of college or coming into college. He was a, a five-star recruit and supposed to be really good and went to Texas and kind of fizzled out. But you, you mentioned punting, and I want to before we give our game predictions, I want to talk about this real quick, just for a second. Um, Mitch Wisnowski has the least punts out of anybody in the NFL through four weeks, and part of that's the bye week, obviously. But he's only punted eleven times, so his because of that, his average isn't great. But that just tells you how good this offense has been, right? So, to me, keep Wisnowski off the field. Honestly, that's 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 the key to winning, right? Keep him off the field because the more your punters on the field, the less your offense is doing. So. I think that with that being said, I, I want to hear what you guys have to say. Like this, this game has given me fits. Literally, I'm going back and forth on this. I'm totally coin flipping this. And it really depends on if the Niners can, like I said earlier in the show, like you with your defense, if it's good, it travels no matter where you go. So if that defense travels and comes with them to LA and they're able to shut down Jared Goff and even if Gurley plays and, and the rest of their offense, They've got a great chance. So what, what are your guys' predictions? What do you guys think? If I had to put an actual number on it, I would say it's going to be 24-21. 
I'm not sure if I know which team is going to score 24 <laughs> at this point. But the one comfort for me is that the weakness of the Rams, the biggest weakness is their offensive line. And the biggest strength of the 49ers is up front, as we've been saying. So I, I think that it's going to be close. But I still do have questions about the offense if Jimmy G has to shoulder a bigger load, like we've talked about. And those receivers are going to have to step up against some pretty good corners for the Rams. So I think it's going to be 24-21. I, I bleed red and, and gold, so I guess I'll say 24-21 Niners. <laughs> Uh, I, I think this game really comes down to one big thing, and, and it's probably the Niners' biggest strength. So I am going to end up picking the Niners. But one of you, I forget which one of you actually mentioned it a little bit earlier while you were talking about golf, but pressuring golf is 100% the key to stopping this Rams team. Goff is not a good quarterback when pressured at all. He's one of the, the league's worst when pressured. And I mean, there's been some videos that have been posted that kind of confirm it, but a lot of times when they can get to the line of scrimmage with plenty of time on the clock where Goff can still hear McVay in his headset, you see him get this blank stare and he's just listening to McVay break down the defense (laughs) for him, telling him where to go. And then he gets a big chunk play. Mm -hmm. Well, when Goff has to go off script, that's what, that's what I'm tying this into. When he has to go off script because the pressure break, the offensive line breaks down and he can't just sit there and go to his progressions, he doesn't do well. Well, the Niners do get pressure. They're a great defensive line. If they can get pressure on Goff, the Niners will win, and I think they will get pressure on Goff because the Rams' big weakness on offense is that offensive line, and you see that in the run game. You know, Gurley's not what he once was, but you also see that he's constantly getting hit before he can even get to the line of scrimmage. And it's because that offensive line is nowhere near as good as it was last year. So to me, you know, I said 27-24, and I'll stick with that. I think the Niners are going to win 27-24, to which, you know, you mentioned kicking. That means Gold needs to make two field goals. <laughs> <laughs> man, he, before I give my prediction, oh, man, the, this kicking unit was so bad in that Monday night game against the Browns. I, I just, I've never seen... Robbie Gold, first of all, performing like that since he was with the 49ers. But I mean, just the, the they're on their third long snapper, which now he botched the hold. Gold had a kick blocked and missed another that was, you know, really just a, a, a makeable field goal for him. And I just, I know that kickers kind of get into their own head and they'll go a game or two where they just can't make anything, but then the rest of the season they're fine. So I'm hoping that this is just one of those things where he's kind of just wanting to to find a groove with the long snapper and that the whole procedure of of getting the snap and the hold down he he gets more comfortable with with the new snapper it's just it just seems that that he's not comfortable with anybody besides kyle nelson who will be back after two games by the way after he served his suspension and once kyle nelson comes back we're just not going to talk about this anymore because he's one of the game's better long snappers so i'm hoping that it doesn't come down to a field goal i'm hoping that i'm hoping that it's a comfortable 49ers win and I see that it's it's a democracy around here, right? So it's majority rules, and and two have already gone against one. So technically, my my vote really doesn't count for anything. So I could just say I could say whatever, right? But ah, I, it's such a hard game to really analyze and predict. It's so hard because the Niners have been so good, but the Rams have that pedigree. And Sean McVay, you don't know what he's going to come out with and attack attack your defense with. So, man, I. I I have to say that uh, this this week I'm going to pick against the Niners. I'm going to say that the Rams, my, my heart says the Niners, but my head is saying the Rams just because I don't think they're going to lose three in a row. 
And for the Niners to go into LA and win, it would take a lot for them to, to do that. And, and I just think that there's too many injuries on the offensive line. I think that Jimmy can do it, but really just, I don't know if they're ready for that step yet. They were ready for the Monday night, but like, can you, can you go into an opposing team's house and win while you're injured and the, the defending NFC champ and, and the young coach like Sean McVay, can you do that? I hope they can. And there's a part of me, like there's 50% of me that thinks they can, but just to be different uh, and literally no other reason just to be different to see who's, who's right and who's wrong next week, I'm going to pick the Rams and it's going to be a close game. I, I think that they're going to get into the mid twenties. It's going to be, man, it's going to be 24, 23 Rams. And, and I, it pains me to say it, but, and I, and I, my heart says that the Niners are going to win, but Again, just to be different, I'm going to pick the Rams. Did you hear that, Rob? It looks like we're going back to a two-man show. Yeah, it's <laughs> you and me. <laughs> Career suicide. I don't really know what you were going for there, but okay. Man, I'm going to fl- I'm going to get flamed on Twitter, aren't I? After the Niners <laughs> win, but you know, I'm I'm usually not right with my predictions, so I'm I'm hoping that that it's like that reverse jinx and all that stuff. So I'm hoping that somehow LA hope ends up choking again in sports, like they did with uh, with Kershaw and the Dodgers. Man, can you guys believe that? That's unbelievable. I, I, I don't want to talk can't. about baseball. I'm a Cubs fan. Oh, that's true. Hey, you got your World Series though, man. 2016. That yeah, that stays yeah. with you forever. I can't complain. But I mean, yeah. you could be like a, a current Dodgers fan, and they don't have anything. And I know that we have Dodgers fans that that listen to us. So apologies to you guys. Love y'all. But I mean, that was that was crazy, man. I can't believe that Kershaw did that again in the postseason. Yeah, he gave up home runs on back to back pitches. He had he never has done that in the regular season. He's done it twice in the postseason. Unbelievable. And then they give up the grand slam and, and extras to end it. I mean, just the game was still on and, and until, until that, that grand slam and they give it up and it's over. I mean, it's, it's just the, the margin of error in the playoffs and, and every sport is so small, which goes back to the defense comment that I had. Right. So if you have good defense, you can pack them and play them. Uh, anyways, any final thoughts guys? Uh, I had, I had one question I was going to ask you guys. To me, I think it could be the key of the game. Who do you play on? cup you know that he mm. seems to have become the guy that makes that offense tick do you put Quan williams on him since he he kind of plays out of the slot a lot or do you let uh the physical freak of mosley be on him to really kind of try to shut him down or do you do some kind of difference where you have one of the linebackers given underneath coverage constantly for cup that was one question i wanted to get out there that i never did how would you defend cup that is a good question because I agree with you. He's the most important receiver in that Rams offense. I think they're going to take advantage of Juan Alexander and his speed. Um, I think he's going to shoulder a lot of that burden. But I also wonder if do you think that Jimmy Ward maybe has a more active role in that area? They they seem to like the flexibility with Jimmy. Um, I don't know that he can cover him straight up man to man just by himself. But I wonder if it's some sort of combination there with those two guys, the speed of Alexander and maybe Ward's versatility that they use. I think they're just hoping that Goff is on his back before he finds Cup. to be <laughs> honest. I think that's that's kind of what the plan is with the, with this secondary, right, with the banged-up secondary. But Jimmy Ward, uh, I think that he – first of all, he played – I have been a critic of Jimmy Ward's for a long time, and he played a really good game against Cleveland, so I have to give him credit for that. He played well, and I feel like he's a better fit back there than Tarverius Moore is. I just feel like Tavares Moore is too young for that that position, and Jimmy Ward on one particular play on the uh, the, the longest play that that Chubb had, he took an angle to the sideline and cut mm-hmm. grabbed, uh, cut cut Chubb off, uh, Nick Chubb off, and um, prevented a touchdown. Tavares Moore probably would have chased him and given up the touchdown. So 
you may see a lot of bracket coverage where you're, you're doubling Cooper Cup uh, with Jimmy Ward over the top. Or, guys, you may see Jimmy Ward come down and cover Cooper Cup and, and Jaquaski Tart move to the free safety. They, they did do that with Tarverius Moore when Jason Verrett came in uh, on, the, on both plays that he was in before, before he got hurt. Where and roasted. He got roasted, yep. And Moore was, was down in the box, and Tart was actually the, the deep safety. So they're interchangeable like that, and I think that that's an option that they have. So I think that's one of the things that they may do, but I think that you're going to see Jimmy Ward on, on Cooper Cup most likely um, with some help. The thing, the thing I was thinking about and why I brought it up, a lot of Cup's routes are the timing routes, mm-hmm. and that plays into what Goff needs. I'm I'm curious to see, and I would not be at all surprised if that's the Niners' first strategy, is to press him, mm-hmm. throw off that timing, and really get physical with him at the line of scrimmage. And if they do that, I think it's either going to be Quan out of the slot, or I think we might get a surprise and see Sherman on him, at least at first, to see how Sherman handles him, to see if Sherman can kind of beat him up and throw off all those timing routes, which then plays into Goff's deficiencies as a quarterback. Not, that's why I brought it up because I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Sherman on him at least at the start just to see how it plays and see if Sherman can rough him up at the line of scrimmage like he's so good at doing. Keep throwing at him. Sherman's going to keep racking up those picks, right? He's, <laughs> he's much better than he was and this defense is, like you guys said, this defense is playing with the swagger. So, um, so yeah, I mean, a really, really good, really good discussion, guys. This was our first three-person show. And it was fun. This was cool. This is the first time that we've had three people like for the duration. And and this this is going to be fun, guys. This is going to be fun, not only for this show, but the Niners, the rest of the Niners season. It's going to be great. Yeah, just as long as you don't keep picking against the Niners, it'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if they win, then I mean, I have to keep it going there. Right? Like, <laughs> I have to keep it interesting. But I, I really, honestly speaking, I think that they that they really will win to, between us three and, and the, the billions of listeners that we have, right? Because we have billions of people listening to this. Uh, I think the Niners will win, but I just wanted to go the other way just so we can have a talking point for the next show, right? So it's just our little secret. Don't worry, I'll tweet at you <laughs> if the Niners win. <laughs> and yeah, start you. You'll start that tweet that that Twitter fire right under my butt. <laughs> All right, guys. So it's it's been great. And uh, why, don't, why don't we uh, tell people where you can find us on Twitter? I'm at at stats on fire on Twitter. As I always say, I'm there for the arguments. <laughs> I'm at the sports bum. Uh, DA sports bum and uh, I'm there just because I'm bored and I have no life (laughs) (laughs) all right and as always I'm at Zane 49ers that's at Z-A-I-N 49ers tweeted us like and comment on on podcast you can find it on SoundCloud iTunes buy a shirt you guys know we sell shirts too buy a shirt I'll send you the link (laughs) (laughs) for Rob Stats Guerrera and Levin Black. This is Zane Nackby with another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast, sponsored by the QBSneak.com. And remember, for accurate predictions on every NFL matchup and thought-provoking NFL content that can help you and your fantasy teams or confidence pools, head to the QBSneak.com. See you guys later. <laughs>